All right. So it's New Year's, and, uh, and that means we finished the uh, Christmas series, and we're about to start a new series, and that means that I get to pick whatever I want to preach, and, uh, and that's what I did. Um, and so today we're going to be doing something, something a little different. I'm actually going to be taking something off of the uh, liturgical calendar, because uh, whenever Brent doesn't give me something to preach, I, I don't know what to preach. So I just, uh, I just found something. And uh, what I want to do this morning is, uh, I've, t- I've entitled this sermon, The Epiphany of God. And uh, the Epiphany, Epiphany Sunday, is, it's, it's a very ancient holy day um, that's been on the, the liturgical calendar for hundreds and hundreds of years. And just, just in full discretion, it's not, not actually until next week <laughs> uh, that Epiphany Sunday uh, happens, but uh, we start a marriage series next week, so, or I guess we start our, our community, uh, we have a community Sunday next week, so my hands are tied. But what I want to do this morning is I, I want to look at Epiphany Sunday. It's something that the uh, liturgical churches celebrate every single uh, year in conjunction with Advent, um, and so I just want to take a closer look at that uh, and, and do that this morning. Um, so that's what we're going to be doing this morning. And usually when we hear the word epiphany, uh, what, what comes to mind? What, what, what usually comes to my mind when I hear this word epiphany is, uh, oh, I've had, I've, I had an epiphany the other day. And, uh, and by that we mean I had a, I had a great idea. Uh, I had a great idea, a light bulb uh, went off in my mind, and I had this great idea. That's what we usually uh, mean when we, when we hear this, uh, think of when we hear this word uh, epiphany. Uh, but actually, that's not what the original word uh, means. And uh, j- as, as I was preparing my sermon uh, this week, I, I realized that I put all of the boring stuff at the very beginning. So just <laughs> put on your thinking caps, and uh, we'll get to some fun stuff toward, towards the end. But what I want to do is I just want to look at what, uh, uh, bef- before we begin anything, what does the word epiphany mean? And then as we get into the sermon, we'll, we'll discuss why we should celebrate this reality. Um, but, but the word epiphany, uh, it's, it's not about an idea, although it could be connected to that. The word epiphany is about uh, revelation. Uh, and specifically, it's about the revelation of God. Uh, or, or to put it another way, epiphany focuses on the question, what is God like? Uh, what does he look like? What does he act like? What does he think like? What is his character like? Uh, it, it's meant to answer this question, who is this God that we worship? Who is this God that we worship? Uh, the word epiphany comes from the Greek word epiphania. And so epiphany, is, uh, it's literally a transliteration of this Greek term. And uh, the word itself is, uh, it, it, it simply means to show forth uh, or to manifest or to appear visibly. And it's not a term that was used by the Jewish biblical authors. It's nowhere in, in the Old Testament and it's found only six times in the New Testament. And three of those six times, so half of, the, half of those times, are found in uh, 2 Timothy. And uh, it's, it's in our text today, if you want to look here at uh, 2 Timothy 1, uh, verse 10, Paul uses this word, epiphany. Uh, he's, he's talking about uh, the gospel that God has uh, revealed to us, and he says in, in verse uh, 10, the gospel which has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ. It's been manifested through the appearing, that word appearing, uh, is epiphany. That's, that's the word that, that Paul uses. Uh, it's not a biblical word. Uh, it's actually a Greco-Roman word. Um, and it was used by the Greeks to describe the coming of the gods into this world. Uh, usually to save, to show their might, uh, to destroy monsters. You can think of uh, Greek mythology. 
right? Hercules was a demigod and he came and he fought whatever monsters he fought. Uh, or you can think of, uh, what, what's, the new, what's that new movie? Uh, Moana. <laughs> Maui is the demigod. And why did he come? He came to lasso the sun, right? To make our days longer. You're welcome. Does anybody get that? Yeah, okay. Uh, that's what epiphany means. And that's what the Greeks meant when they used this word epiphany. It was the appearance of the gods. Uh, when Paul uses this term, he doesn't use it for the pagan gods. He uses it to describe the appearance of the Messiah. God has sent the Messiah, and what is it? It's an epiphany. And so what does Paul mean when he, when he uses this word epiphany? What Paul means to say is that, that the Messiah is a revelation, not of the false gods that the Greeks knew, right? Not, not a pagan god, but of the true God. Jesus Christ is a manifestation, a showing forth of Israel's God, Yahweh. And that's what Paul is trying to, uh, to tell us uh, in this text. Jesus Christ is a manifestation. He's a showing forth. He's an appearance of the God of the Old Testament, the God that the Jews worshipped. Not, not the pagan gods, but the, but the true God. And, uh, you know, this is all throughout the, all throughout the New Testament. Uh, the New Testament writers, they don't use this word epiphany uh, because Paul is borrowing from, uh, from, from Greek culture, but they do pick up on the idea. If you remember from the Gospel of John, when John is describing the coming of Christ, he says that when Jesus came, he showed us the Father, right? And Jesus himself says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, right? What is, what is, what, what is uh, trying to communicate there? Jesus is a manifestation of the invisible God. Or you can think of Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 says that, you know, although God has revealed himself in, in, in many various ways, uh, he has revealed himself fully and finally, in his son, Jesus Christ, in the incarnation, Jesus, who is the radiance of God's glory, becomes an epiphany of the invisible God. And so what, what is epiphany all about? It's about how in the incarnation, Jesus shows us the Father. He reveals to us what God in himself is like. It answers the question, what is this God that we worship? What is he like? And, you know, this is incredibly important because many of us have ideas in our heads of what God is like. And many of those ideas are right and true and biblical. Uh, but many of those ideas are very, very wrong. Okay? I remember when I was growing up, the only idea that I, you know, and I went to youth group, I was a great church kid. But when I thought about God, I thought about God as the grumpy lawgiver. <laughs> and I wanted to go have fun. But all that this God that I worshipped, all that he did was he stifled my, my fun. Right? And many of us have these understandings of God that are just simply untrue. What Jesus does is he reveals to us what God is like. And if we are to worship God, if we're to know God, we need to know what he's like. You know, it does me no good to say that I love my wife if I don't know anything about her. Right? It doesn't do me any good if I come up to my wife and I say, Oh, honey, I love your, your long, straight, black, luscious locks of hair. No, she has blonde curly hair, right? <laughs> I would get a slap in the face, okay? Oh, honey, I know that you love the 90s rock and roll music that I listen to so much that I turn up in the car, so I'm going to play you some, some Weezer, okay? <laughs> no, she hates that music. <laughs> no, how, how can I love my wife? I have to know who she is. I have to know what she looks like. I have to know her characteristics. I have to know what she's like. And it's the same with God. 
We have to know what he's like. All right, so that's what uh, uh, epiphany means. Now, uh, just very quickly, what I want to do is I want to walk through two steps. Uh, this is Epiphany Sunday, or I guess it's next week. Uh, so two steps here. Why, why is the epiphany important? Why is the epiphany important, and then how does it affect your life? How does it affect your everyday life? Why is it important, and how does it affect your life? All right, so the epiphany is a showing forth of God through the incarnation of Christ. Okay, what I, what I want to ask, though, in, in, this, in this first point is, why is that important for us? Uh, or we could, we, could ask it, we could ask it another way. Why did God reveal himself in this specific way? <laughs> Have you ever thought about that? Why did God become a man and reveal himself in this way? Right, we've already looked at Hebrews 1. Hebrews 1 says that God has revealed himself in many various ways. You know, Paul says in Romans that God gave his law. That's a revelation. God, uh, you know, he built this temple, this tabernacle that he could dwell in. That's a revelation. God wrote on stone tablets. That's a revelation. You know, Paul says in Romans 1 that even the creation is a manifestation of God's own glory. So we have to ask ourselves, what's so important? Why is it important about the, uh, the appearance of God in the person of Jesus Christ? Why did God do it this way? Okay? And the reason is simply this. In order to know God truly, really, it wasn't enough for him to write his law on stone. Right? It wasn't enough for his glory to dwell in the temple. Okay? Uh, it wasn't enough to, for him to give his words to the prophets and write it down in a book. Okay? All of those things are good things, but it's not enough. For us to truly know God, we have to know him in a real, intangible, touchable, seeable way. We have to be able to see him in our own human situation. Okay? And, and I just want uh, to illustrate this. You know, there are many different ways for humans, uh, human beings to communicate. Okay? Uh, there are many various ways for us to communicate. Uh, you know, you can just think about it. You can communicate via text message. Okay? Uh, you can communicate via duck face selfies on Instagram. Right? Uh, you can communicate through FaceTime. You can communicate through uh, what, what's another, Twitter. There are so many ways that you can communicate. You can communicate over the phone. Okay? But what is the best way to communicate? As an introvert, okay, I like text messaging. <laughs> but why do I like text messaging? Well, because I can hide behind emojis. <laughs> okay? Hey, how are you? Smiley face emoji, right? And, and for all intents and purposes, you think that I'm happy. But on, on the other side of the phone, what could I be doing? I could be frowning, okay? And, and here's, here's another thing. I, I, you know, I could say something to you face-to-face -face that you would take totally different if I were to say it via text message. Right? So I could say something really uh, sarcastic and snarky, and, and you'd think that's very, very uh, offensive via text message. But, but if I said it in, in a snarky way with a smirk on my face, and I started laughing afterwards, right? You would say, oh, he's just joking. Okay? Or I could say something really nice. Uh, you know, if, if you came up to me on the street and, and you said, oh, Lucas, how are you? I could say, I'm doing fine. <laughs> you would say, well, what's wrong? Okay? If, if I said that via text message, you'd be like, oh, he's doing just fine. Okay? Text message is, is a very convenient way for me to communicate with you, but it's not very clear, right? Uh, you, you, uh, you can't see my facial expression, 
Uh, you can't see the way that I talk. Even now, I'm using my hands. <laughs> and, that's, and that's a mode of communication that you're not getting when you're Instagramming, okay? <laughs> when you're Instagramming, you, you get the perfect portrait, you know? Uh, you, you can make sure that you look good. In real life, though, that's not the way it is. In real, tangible life. Um, when Andrew and I started dating, she was living in Russia, okay? And I had known her before that. She's not from Russia. She was a missionary there, <laughs> just to clarify. But um, we, we met there like, uh, we had met there like five years before, and we had stayed in contact, and she was about to come back to the field. And we started talking while she was in Russia. And so uh, we, we started messaging, and then we started texting, and then we started calling, and then we said, you know, I, I can't deal with this. So we started uh, Skyping. We didn't have FaceTime back then. So we started Skyping. But even then, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a very good uh, relationship. I mean, it was, good, it was a good relationship, but it wasn't very effective. Because even when you could see each other's face and expressions, right, you, couldn't see, you couldn't see them in real time throughout the day. And so we would start our conversations, we would say, so how was your day? <laughs> I went and did this, and I did that, and I went to the coffee shop, I talked to so-and-so. And how did you feel about that? <laughs> and how did that affect you, right? Uh, distance does everything, okay? Uh, in our relationship with God, he can reveal himself to us in many different ways, and this is what he did with Israel. He wrote the Ten Commandments with his own finger on a tablet of stone. He gave Israel the sacrificial system. He gave them the temple and the prophets and so on. And all of that showed something about who he was to Israel. But even then, what couldn't they do? <laughs> they couldn't look at him. Right? If they went into the Holy of Holies, what would happen? Do you guys know? <laughs> you would die. <laughs> okay? um, they couldn't have a real, tangible, face-to-face -face relationship with him. And in fact, they didn't even want it. If you guys remember in the story of Exodus, when God liberated Israel from, from Egypt, he took them into the desert and he took them to the bottom of this mountain. And he made a covenant with them. And Exodus says that when Israel saw, he appeared at the top of this mountain, when Israel saw him, it, it appeared as if he was this thundercloud with lightning and, and peals of thunder and all that stuff. And Israel took one look at, at that God and they said, I, I don't want to talk to that God. I don't want to look at that God. Moses, you go up, right? You go up and talk to him for us, and you bring the word down, okay? So there was this distance. Even when God revealed himself uh, to Israel at the top of the mountain, there was distance. They had to have Moses as this mediator who went up to the mountain and received a word and brought the word back down. Uh, there was distance. And... What is so often the case when there's distance, when people do not speak face-to-face, -face, there's always misunderstanding. Uh, there's, there's miscommunication. You can think of the telephone game. Okay? When you play the telephone game, it, it, nobody wins when you play the telephone game <laughs> because it, it always starts with something and ends with something else. Right? It, it, you, you could start it with, eat your vegetables, and, and it would end with, you know, what, 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 you know a church steeples, you know, and you're like, why, why did it end that way? Well, because of the vast distance between the, the, the original uh, communicator and, and the one who hears it. Or think about gossip. Why is gossip so destructive? Why does God hate gossip? Why is it so hurtful? Well, it's, it's not simply because it's one person talking about another person to another person. <laughs> That's bad enough. Right? 
But no, it's, it's one person interpreting another person's motives and heart and, and intentions and, and thoughts. And, and they're, they're, they're taking it through the filtration of their own mind, usually in a negative way, and then they're saying that filtered negative thing to someone else, right? And that other person's way over there, they don't get to defend themselves, okay? That's what happens when there's distance between two people, two parties. Uh, and this is, why fe- this is why you feel so betrayed when someone... Uh, misunderstands your intentions or your heart in something. You know, when Andrew and I first got married, 90% of our fights were from us misinterpreting something that, someone, that, that they said, right? We would get into a fight, and, and she was like, well, why did you get mad? And I said, well, you said this, and you meant that. <laughs> I said that, but I did not mean that. How, did that. how did those two things connect? That's so often the case when you get into fights. You're interpreting something that is not in the person's mind, and you're putting it in your own mind. Uh, It's the same with God. We all have a tendency to do the same thing with God, to assume what God is like, to assume his intentions, to assume his character. And, you know, without a clear revelation, we're left guessing, or worse, we're left misrepresenting who God is. We're left to make him up in our own head. I just want you to think about the second commandment. We all know what the first commandment is. That's clear enough. Don't worship any other gods. Got it. <laughs> of course, we do that every day. But what's the second commandment? Don't make a graven image. You think, well, no, I'm not bowing down to idols. No problem. That, that's not what God said, though. God said, don't make a graven image of whom? Well, of Baal. No. Don't make a graven image of me. Don't represent me. That's what Yahweh says to Israel. Don't make an image or a carved idol of me. Okay? And you think, well, why? Why, God? Why, why do you hate my art? You know? <laughs> it's like a little kid trying to present a drawing. You know? No. Why? why? Why shouldn't we make images of God? Well, how would we know what he looks like? <laughs> right? The only image that we would make of God is an image that comes from where? Our own heads. And that's why God said, don't make any images whatsoever. Make none. Only listen to what I say to you. Don't make any images because you will end up misrepresenting me. And, and even worse, you'll end up committing idolatry. Okay? Don't make images of me means don't make me up in your own head, which is what we so often do. We make God up in our own heads and we say, this is the true God. If you remember, uh, there was one time uh, uh, when, when Israel was still at the bottom of the mountain and Moses was up there for 40 days and 40 nights and Israel was getting very worried and they were saying to Aaron the priest, they said, Aaron, where's our God? They've been up there for so long. Maybe he's gone away. Maybe Moses is dead. What's going on here? And Aaron, you know, he's, he's a good PR guy, but he's not a good priest. He goes, oh, hold on one second. And so he goes, he goes back and he, and, he, and he makes two golden calves, and he presents, he presents these two golden calves to Israel. And, no, and, and notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, here are the real gods that brought you out of Egypt. Not that Yahweh guy. No, he makes two golden calves and he says, here is the God who brought you out of Egypt. What was Aaron doing? He was making God in his own image. He was crafting God according to his own mind, according to his own anxieties, according to his own worries. Uh, this is what we so often do. We create God in our own image. 
And this is the importance of the epiphany. What does the epiphany do for us? The epiphany takes God and, he tra- and it translate, translates him into our own language. When God took on flesh, he went into our own situation. He took on our own uh, sufferings. He took on our own worries, our own anxieties, our own life situation. He, he translated himself from the invisible God that we cannot see. And he made himself, as Paul says, an icon of the invisible God. He translated himself into our own human, human situation. The epiphany is important because it overthrows idolatry. You know, so many of us are used to saying, well, why did God become man? Well, to save us from our sins. Yes, that's true. Right? To defeat death. Yes, that's true. But why else? To overthrow idolatry. All of the false religions in this world are, are, are attempts of worshiping the true God. But in our own minds, we will never worship the, uh, the only God. We need an epiphany of the one true God. Here's what um, Athanasius, a very, uh, an early church bishop, he wrote a book called On the Incarnation. And, he, and here's, here's what he says about, about, uh, about Christ. He says, For this reason the lover of human beings and the common savior of all takes to himself a body and dwells among humans as human so that they might, from what the Lord wrought through the actions of the body, know the truth and through him consider the Father. And notice what Athanasius says. God, God became man so that through his own actions wrought in the body, we might come to know the Father. Right? That, that's an important phrase there. Through the actions of his own body, through what he did on this earth, God translated himself. He made himself visible. Here's uh, one more quote here. Michael Allen, uh, theologian Michael Allen, he says this, The astounding thing is that the eternal word by whom all things were created became a creature without ceasing to be the eternal word, and therefore his very creatureliness constitutes the act of revelation and is the guarantee that revelation is here within creation and accessible to humanity within the limitations of time and space. It's a lot of words there, but, but, but listen. His very creatureliness, right? Christ's own creatureliness is God's translation of himself to us. And I just want you to think, I want you to think about just, just about a, a few things that Christ did in his own, in his own uh, uh, during his own life that reveals God. You know, the early church fathers were, fo- were fond of talking about a communication of attributes that happened when God became man. God became man such that when we look at Jesus Christ dying on the cross, we don't just say, look at that man dying on the cross. No, we say, look at God dying on the cross. I just want you to think about just a couple episodes, though, in Jesus Christ's own life. When Lazarus died, Jesus is traveling with his disciples to the grave, of, uh, to the tomb of Lazarus. And, and Jesus looks at, inside the tomb. And, and what, does, what does Jesus do when he looks? 
it says that he starts weeping. Okay? That is, a, that is a window into the very heart of God. How does God feel about death? He weeps at, his, at, at, at its reality. God hates death. He hates the reality of our sin. He hates the reality uh, of, of our own death. Or think about this. When Jesus comes on the scene, you know, the Pharisees think that he's going to go to them, but where does he go? He goes and eats with whom? Sinners and tax collectors. Okay. And you say, oh, look at that, look at that man, that, that nice man eating with tax. No. What is God like? God is the one who goes to sinners and he eats with them, he fellowships with them, and he redeems them, and he makes them whole. And then at the cross, Jesus is dying, and one of the guards looks up, and this is in Mark, and, and, and the centurion says, surely this is the Son of God. Mark is making a theological statement there. What is he saying? This is what God is like. God is the one who dies for sinners. Okay? What, what, is, what, is, what is the incarnation? The incarnation is a revelation. It's an opening up of the very heart of God, of what he is like. We have so many ideas of what this invisible God that we can't see is like, but what Jesus does is he shows us in concrete, tactile reality what the true God is like. The true God is a God that eats with sinners, that weeps at death, that dies under the weight of our sin. That's what the true God is like. So this is why the epiphany is important, but very, very quickly here. How does the epiphany affect our lives? Point two. And uh, very simply, the epiphany addresses the very important question, how do I relate to this God that I worship? On an everyday basis, how do I go to him and, and have a relationship with him? And, and the answer is through the lived life of Christ. Okay? You go to God not by uh, you know, thinking really hard and ascending into the spiritual reality that is God. You go through the lived reality of Christ. And you know, Martin Luther, uh, when he wrote, uh, wrote the, the Heidelberg Disputation, he, uh, he had these uh, uh, medieval theologians that he liked uh, to call theologians of glory. <laughs> he called them sky theologians. Because what they would do is they would speculate about what this invisible God is like. And, and, and they would just sit around and say, hmm, this, is, this God, hmm. He, what, what is he like? What is his being? What is he like in his, in his, in his divine essence? <laughs> and Luther said, you guys are idiots. What are you, what are you talking about? And Luther says, you guys have a theology of glory. I have a theology of the cross. And by that he means, don't, don't, don't just sit there thinking. <laughs> you go to the foot of the cross and you look and that's what your God is like. Okay? And Luther says, these guys, these guys they're, just, they're just all about their own glory and their own works. I want to go and die with Jesus because that's, that's what God is like. That's what God is like. And then John Calvin, uh, an another reformer, he used to compare the difference between God and man in terms of, of a parent's relationship to their little baby. <laughs> uh, I just had a little baby a couple, couple months ago. It's all a blur, I don't know. 
I don't know how long it was. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's like, uh, how much can my baby understand about uh, paying taxes? <laughs> well, nothing, okay? <laughs> Absolutely nothing, right? How much can a little baby know about working 40 hours a week or uh, driving a car or whatever? Nothing, absolutely nothing. What about a toddler? Well, a toddler can imagine. You know, my, my daughter Anya likes to imagine what it's like to be an adult. And, and how much of it is accurate? Well, some of it's accurate, but 90% of it is inaccurate. <laughs> you know, daddy goes to work every morning. Where does he go? She doesn't know. <laughs> she knows where daddy's office is, but she wouldn't know how to get there. And what does he do? Well, he sits in his chair all day long, <laughs> probably watching videos or, you know, Dora the Explorer or something. I don't know. Right? She has, she has no clue. All she can do is imagine, make it up in her head. The only way, the only way that Anya can have any, any, any faint idea of what it's like to be an adult, well, there's two ways. One way is for her to grow up. <laughs> That's going to be about 20 years, right? But another way is I could, I could try to get down to her level, right? And Calvin, John Calvin calls this baby talk. What does God do to us in the incarnation? He babbles like a little baby to us. He gives us a little glimpse of what it's like to look into the inner life of God. And what does the inner life of God look like? Self-gift. Sacrifice. Dying for the love of another. That's what God looks like. And the only way that we can know about it is through the epiphany of God. Through looking at Christ on the cross, dying, bloodied, in pain, under the weight of our own condemnation. That's the only way we can look at the heart of God. It's the only way we can see him for who he truly is. Calvin says, God's just talking baby talk to you. you you've seen the tip of the iceberg. But that's the only way you're going to get to know God. And so how does it affect you? Every day you wake up and you go to the cross. You have to know what Christ is like. Paul calls this acquiring the mind of Christ. To know God's mind, you don't, you don't ascend into heaven. You go by the way of the cross. You acquire Christ's mind. To know what God loves and cares about and does and what his character is like, you look at the character of Christ. Don't sit down and think for a while. You look at Christ you find your life in Christ. This is immensely practical. Know Christ and you'll know God. If you know Jesus, you'll know God because he in himself is the epiphany of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you that on the cross, uh, we don't have anything to look past. We look right there at the foot of the cross at Jesus Christ bloodied and dying and saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That is your very heart, Father. Help us during uh, this new year to approach you through Christ and nowhere else. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.